coming up on Over a Barrel. You know, Ooh. government is great with overburden, over-regulating. Instead of, instead of streamlining things, Matt, here, this system that I can tell, I can tell you're very agitated about I it. have and a I, vein I can, popping out of the middle of my forehead. You have I the George even, Costanza vein, right? I didn't it's even know vein. it was there till just now. Over a Barrel starts right now. And welcome to Over a Barrel. I'm your co-host, Matt McLean, alongside Patrick DeHaan, and he's the other co-host of Over a Barrel. Patrick, hello. Another week, another episode. Good to be with you, Matt. Absolutely. We have all kinds of stuff to discuss uh, in this particular episode. Oil's been up, oil's been down, oil's been back up, it goes back down. Uh, I am assuming you've got some anti-motion medication that you're taking as you're watching. Yeah, right? So so let's get right on into it. Talk to us about kind of what's been going on in the markets this week and what that's going to reflect on the prices at the local pump. Well, Matt, it's, uh, like I said, a roller coaster ride. And, you know, I, I hope you have some motion sickness pills because, uh, boy, um, what a week. It's just like, you know, it's been the, the pattern as of late. Uh, one day it's one thing, the next it's something else and oil prices have just been all over the map uh, uh a bit disorganized uh but you know for consumers not all uh, a bad time uh, oil prices back under the 70 dollar barrel mark although that could change by the time we upload this episode uh because it is all over the map we're up about two dollars a barrel today the national average has been sneaking up a little bit uh so uh you know here we are uh, entering the summer driving season and the price of gasoline up a couple pennies from a week ago. Not a huge increase, but I will preface it by saying um, uh, in terms of the increases that we've been seeing some pretty hefty increases in the Great Lakes and Florida. Those are states that engage in what we call price cycling. Uh, most motorists in those areas know what that is. It's when stations suddenly, after you know days of declining, stations raise their prices sometimes 30, 40, 50, even some stations 60 cents a gallon. Um, uh, a lot of that happens because the wholesale price of gasoline has jumped in the preceding week or two. Stations don't often pass along the daily changes in gas prices in those states. And so it's kind of a pent up all at once thing. But having said that, um, you know, Matt, a year ago, the national average hit 502 a gallon. That is the all time record high. So nice to be in the, the, the seat here today with prices that are down a dollar and 45 cents a gallon. Uh, I don't know about you, but you know, you think back to a year ago when we were over $5 a gallon, uh, two gallons of gasoline would net you 10 bucks, right? Four gallons would be 20 bucks. And I think most of us talking about motion sick pills would be watching the pump go up and up and up and up and up. In fact, it was to the point, Matt, where Visa and MasterCard actually had to raise the limits on how much per transaction that you could transact because the price of gasoline was so high. Um, I'm sure you remember those days. I just sort of broke out into a cold sweat. <laughs> I just want you to know, just just the memories. I, I It's almost like a trigger for me. Oh boy. I mean, it's a trigger for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, it it, it stifled our, our feeling of of hitting the road, right? I mean, how did you feel when you saw five bucks? And you're, you're in an area that's generally more affordable. Well, yes, and prices, uh, I remember sending you photos where prices were still above five bucks. And yeah, it was uh, very painful because, you know, for those of us who still have to travel, no matter what the price of gasoline is, uh, 
it, it it gets very painful very quickly. Um, you know, as I have mentioned before, I do I do video production, and unfortunately, when you need to grab footage of the Grand Canyon, you can't bring it to you. You have to go to it. So, um, yes, it gets very pricey, and so that that created some problems. So I am very thankful for the price point that we are at right now, and and would love to see it go even lower. Yeah, I, I think I think ninety nine point nine percent of us would like to see it go lower. Uh, and speaking of this. You know, I'm going to tease this out, something we're going to talk about in this episode. There's one thing that I think most Americans, kind of like a secret, Matt, that we'll unveil in this episode, what most Americans don't know about gas prices and summer. And, you know, I I continue to get hit with this question, this preconceived notion um, that I'm going to finally unveil so most Americans can can stop listening to the myth about gas prices and and what the deal is with the relationship between gas prices in the summer because a lot of Americans you know they they expect gas prices to to peak in the summer right it kind of makes sense as demand peaks for gasoline in the middle of the summer um, but let's 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 go back to price here so uh, stay tuned here we're gonna we're gonna release the secret here in a few minutes uh, but for now um, you know yeah let's let's continue to to have uh, good memories of well not really memories bad memories but being in the place we are now, the national average is almost a dollar fifty uh, lower per gallon. And Matt, it doesn't end there. Really, the price of diesel—I remember it a year ago—is over six bucks at most stations here. Uh, I'm yeah. outside Chicago. Remember those days? I yes, uh, they are seared into my conscience at this point. Yeah, seared. <laughs> I love that they're just branded into your that the painful memory, the trauma that Americans and and more so truckers experienced a year ago. Now, Matt, the national average for diesel is a dollar and 95 cents a gallon lower than it was a year ago dollar 95 so most most trucks matt have tanks uh for diesel um they have two tanks right one per side mm-hmm. and generally speaking those tanks can hold up to 150 gallons so we're talking about a 300 gallon purchase oh, of diesel my god trucks trucks on average are spending 585 dollars less per fill up oh Per fill up, Matt. So, you know, and and keep in mind, too, that that's part of the reason why inflation has cooled off a bit here. Um, You know, the Federal Reserve met this week to talk about raising rates. Well, they paused because of the duress that some of the the the, the quick pace of increases has caused the economy. But Matt, the reason why the average trucker is spending, you know, close to six hundred dollars less per fill up, it's not it's not a great, you know, sign for the economy. It's kind of like alarm bells are going off. And part of the reason why prices for diesel are so much lower is because demand for diesel has plummeted over 10%. And that's because retailers aren't buying as much because Americans aren't buying as much. Spending is down. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of trucking and logistics companies have taken it on the chin. There's nothing to haul. And because and because there's a lot of competition for what what few things are being shipped right now. I mean, there's no shortage of trucks on the road, but it's far less than a year ago. And because there is less demand for shipping, truckers are having a very hard time right now, even amidst much lower diesel prices. And the, the reason, Matt, is that when there's intense competition, right, there's so much trucking availability right now that truckers are basically, um, I knew of a trucker that that hauled a load and lost a couple hundred dollars on doing that, but it's cash revenue that he really needed. So just absolutely incredible, um, you know, the, 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 the change compared to a year ago. Absolutely. And I know that, for example, in the logistics you mentioned, I am starting to see prices 
even in the commodities like groceries, uh, some of that is beginning to fall. Uh, I'm noticing, for example, the price of eggs. And and l- listen, logistics part of that price point, understandably. There were there were other issues. <laughs> you beat with, me to it. <laughs> there were other issues with the chickens themselves uh, not uh, behaving quite as they should have in certain areas. Or the flu, right? Well, that's getting was, sick. Those darn chickens getting sick. They just didn't take their vitamins like they should have, and so then then the egg suddenly. <laughs> shoot to like, you know, five, six bucks a dozen or whatever the case may be. But that's only one example. We are seeing the price falling on a lot of different uh, things in the grocery departments and other aspects. I know in some of the different apps and stuff that I I may, you know, grocery shop or whatever the case may be, cleaning uh, supplies, whatever, I'm seeing those falling prices. In fact, a lot of the um, uh, you know, retail stores are marking these down as yeah. like a falling price type of thing. You know, price was now is kind of a thing. Um, and some of it is, is, is decent. So understandably logistics, the transportation is what I'm getting at the shipping aspect. Um, some of that would have to be as a result of cheaper fuel prices. Yes. Well, certainly. And I, I just want to call you Mother Goose right now, telling the chickens that they need to take their vitamins um, just opens the door for a lot of, you know, it, it's like your mom telling you to wear your winter coat. But yeah, I mean, to your point, a lot of Americans get confused because like the price of eggs, as you mentioned, diesel's a very small overall cost for the price of eggs. And the bulk of the reason, Matt, is because just like the price of oil, right, is determined by supply and demand, the price of eggs is supply and demand. The price of milk is supply and demand. The price of cheese is supply and demand. And what happened with the eggs is what can happen with oil, right? It's what happened with oil at the onset of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is that suddenly there is a perceived imbalance between supply and demand. And that's what happens with eggs, right? It, except it wasn't a perceived uh, change in supply and demand for eggs. It was basically, um, you know, uh, livestock farmers were having to... to um, uh, to put chickens down because they were having this virus that would affect it a lot more, you know, of their egg production. So yeah. we had to kill off a lot of the chickens because this, uh, this, this influenza, right. And so there were fewer chicken laying, uh, excuse me, there were fewer egg laying chickens. And so suddenly you have not enough eggs, especially during the holidays, Matt, when I don't know about you, but there's a lot of baked goods that, you know, oh, yeah. Um, well, and just like eggs, gasoline demand peaks in the summer, my, my, my weight peaks around the holidays. I wonder how that works. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Well, like Easter eggs, for example. I mean, a lot of people dye eggs, you know, and the price at that point was uh, just just a few months ago was approaching four bucks a dozen of eggs. Um, and yeah, we were talking about all that. They did the, the chickens just simply uh, didn't behave themselves and got sick. So, I mean, <laughs> it's as simple as that. But but there are I mean, that's just one prime example of of kind of what we are seeing in the market. Now you've got the Federal Reserve. Um, they were expected uh, to, you know, obviously keep raising interest rates from what we have gleaned from yesterday's Federal Reserve press conference is they left both or the interest rate for this month unchanged after 18 months of increasing rates, uh, somewhere between five and 6% overall. But also in that same meeting, uh, uh, the federal chair, uh, Ben Bernanke, uh, I'm sorry, the federal uh, chair, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, my mind just went back in history a few times ago, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Jerome Powell saying, that, you know, hey, while we're going to leave it unchanged this month, we are expecting probably a couple of more interest hikes later this year. So what will that do to crude prices? Is that going to send them up, send them down, keep them right where they are? 
Well, Matt, I, I mean, the Federal Reserve, the whole goal is to slow the economy down by raising rates, making borrowing more expensive, which is going to make growth more expensive, right? Because a lot of businesses will borrow to buy businesses and a lot of businesses borrow to expand their business. So it's really going to slow down the pace of growth. And when businesses slow down, that means they slow down things like pay raises and hiring and all of that. So generally speaking, Matt, when, when the Fed is acting to slow the economy down, because gasoline and diesel are so critical to that economic uh, 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 growth, right? They're, they're basically slowing down consumption as well. They're slowing everything down. People aren't going to buy as much. They're not going to get out as much. There's more pressure on prices. So, Which is kind Reserve, of the goal of raising interest exactly. rates. We need to cool things off, right? We need to slow the spending down because there's been so much spending that it's contributing to inflation. When Americans are buying every new car on the lot, right? That doesn't contribute to lower prices. It contributes to constraint, right? Factories can't keep up. The people that are working at those factories are, are, are getting paid overtime, extra wages. They're hiring more, right? So when the Federal Reserve essentially raises the cost of borrowing, it slows that business growth, business growth down, which slows down hiring, which trickles down. But it takes a long time for that full trickle down, which is why the Fed paused, right? Because they specifically said, we're waiting for this, you know, to get better data on, on the trickle down, how long this takes, because there is an impact to all of us, right? I'm not going to go out and buy a new house tomorrow, Matt. Why? Because mortgage rates are through the roof. Whereas if mortgage rates were very low, I, I would consider it. So yeah. raising rates has the intended consequence of slowing the economy down, right? We've talked about recession. The Fed has talked about recession because they're raising rates at a pretty aggressive pace, which is going to really derail consumers' appetite for spending. And again, because gasoline and diesel are basically tied um, to economic growth. When that economy slows down, it also slows down diesel consumption and okay. gasoline consumption. So I've got to throw this out there then. The reality of the situation is while they're trying to slow down the economy and certain aspects of the economy are obviously feeling the pinch. You brought up mortgage rates and other aspects. The overall economy as a whole still has, as of this past month, far more jobs available than available people to actually take those jobs. So while, while there are some aspects of the economy that are starting to show that strain, the the overall, you know, if you look at the whole crystal ball, so to speak, instead of one little flake of snow that's uh, that's floating around, it still looks as if we are on a growth spurt. Yes? I mean, we are. Uh, stock market's up. That's the good news. But we are slowing that growth spurt down, Matt. And I think that's why, that's why inflation rates are still going up. Um, or I shouldn't say going up interest rates are going up. Inflation is coming down, but it's still at 4, you know, 4%. So it is still rising in that inflation, you know, prices today are 4% higher than last year, but the pace is slowing down and that's it's having the consequence. So the more the Fed, you know, tightens monetary policy by raising interest rates, the the more of a slowdown. Um so that that that's the good news and that's why prices matter are down so much for diesels because the intended consequences are having the impact that um that they are supposed to be having. And and that's the good news. And that's primarily, Matt, why prices are lower is because, and this is where a lot of reporters come to me and say, Patrick, well, demand has got to be higher because prices are lower, but they, they aren't, right? Gas prices are lower. You would expect demand might be higher because that's normally the way it works. We're not in a normal environment. Right, we're we're facing down the potential of a of an economic a broader economic slowdown. Not only that, but there are still the the effects 
from COVID, right? The effects were last year after the federal mask mandate was rescinded, everyone went out and basically partied. They drove around there. You know, you, you didn't have to call a business to see if it was open. You didn't have to call a business to see about masks, 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 you know, were, were kind of a, a, a chokehold on the economy in the way that many Americans had really politicized views about masks and people were restrained. Businesses had special hours, but last summer it was like a restraint free summer and Americans were not going to be held back. And so the pent-up level of demand is now lower. It's less. It's gone because most Americans will say got it out of their system, right? They road tripped last summer. They took advantage of it. Right, because Prices we were, were really shut high. down due to the yeah, COVID for the previous Exactly. Year. We all had cabin fever. <laughs> we were all running around dancing in the streets with our cars, essentially. And the party's kind of over. I mean, it's not completely over, but a lot of that pent-up demand, Americans don't feel like partying as much now, right? We've kind of gotten used to it. We had our big party. And now we're a little bit worried about the state of the economy, Matt, because my employer is freezing hiring, because my employer may be freezing wages, because I've seen layoffs in the tech sector. So there's more anxiety over the, the state of the economy. So that's really what's behind the cool down in prices. And the more the Federal Reserve tightens policy, Matt, the more they do raise interest rates, the more potential there is that later this fall, the national average could fall below the $3 a gallon mark. Now, there's a lot that could derail that, but the odds are growing that it's still going to be a potential to happen. Now, last last fall, Matt, if you remember, maybe you don't because I'm the I'm the nerdy analyst. The national average fell down to 305. We were within a nickel of hitting the 299 mark for the national average. Most stations are, are the, the 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 most common price across the nation last fall got down to 299. That's not the average. That's not the median, right? That's the mode, the most common. The mode price was $299. So as the Federal Reserve continues its, and now that they've made this clear, right, that they're going to continue raising interest rates after a pause, they've made their, their you know, the most likely outcome clear. I think that puts more downward potential on prices this fall, Matt, because typically demand falls in the fall. For gasoline, we switch back to cheaper winter gasoline this fall. So those two ingredients already give us a good shot at hitting $299 for a national average this fall. But now the icing on the cake is the Federal Reserve is going to continue to, to try and restrain the economy. And by doing so, they're going to restrain demand more, right? They don't have a direct impact. But when I'm not feeling great about the economy, Matt, I'm not taking long road trips. I'm not you know, I'm not spending as much on 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 Amazon or whatever else. Right. And so that Amazon delivery might be gasoline, diesel. But the point is that economic activity is tied to demand. So as the Fed continues to tighten policy, our, our odds are improving for lower prices later this year. And like I said, keep in mind, hurricanes, you know, refinery outages happen. But Let's loop back to that secret now. The secret thing that most Americans don't know about gas prices in the summer so let me ask you, Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you don't get it right, perfectly understandable. In fact, you know, it kind of solidifies my point. So I'm kind of hoping you don't know this. But over the course of the year, right, there are ups and downs to gas prices. Mm -hmm. When would you, as a motorist, think that normally gas prices peak? During the course of the year, what time, when, when, what season would you think that Usually we see the highest gas prices. Well, I will. I'm just going to simply go off of my experience in all the travels uh, that I do. Um, I'm going to say probably springtime. Is that accurate? 
Ah, Matt, 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 you're too smart for me because spring is not when you think of most Americans hitting the road. Most of it would be summer travel. Right. So most most Americans think that, hey, you know, most Americans get on the road in July, right? All everyone's out of school in the summer and all my family vacations, Matt, I don't know about you. uh, We're in July, July and early August is when June. But yes, no, absolutely. It's still summertime. Sure. In June, you can save some money because most some some schools are still in during June. So, you know, July and August is the most popular. And according to Gas Buddy data, that is when gasoline demand peaks. And most Americans have the preconceived notion that when demand peak uh, peaks in the summer, but prices have to peak. I mean, it, do, it does kind of make sense, Matt, because we we often talk about fundamentals. You know, if demand is higher, prices generally are higher. But I'm going to clarify this. Prices do not usually peak in the summer unless there's an extenuating event like a hurricane or major refinery outages. Typically, the national average does not peak in the summer. It peaks in the spring because that is the time when there is maximum pressure on gasoline prices, right? Every spring, I feel like I'm a broken record. Every spring, refinery maintenance is a big one because there's not as much capacity. And the bigger squeeze is the transition to summer gasoline because there are hard deadlines. And those those hard deadlines bring a lot of logistical challenges that push prices up. And then the logistical challenges are exacerbated by refineries that don't have as much capacity to build up supply of that summer gasoline as quickly. And by the way, summer gasoline supply starts from scratch every spring. They don't have magical supply that's just been sitting there all winter. They don't have an inventory, right? Right, right. So they build that inventory from scratch. And because the inventory is very low, as they've just started making that blend in the spring, there's usually maximum, we'll say maximum dynamic pressure on the market in the spring. Now, Matt, usually refineries are online in the summer because demand is higher in the summer. As a business, you want to make sure your business is fully ready for the peak season, right? Right. So refineries usually do maintenance not in the summer, but in the spring. And in the summer, that capacity gets back online and they churn out gasoline supply, which typically allows gasoline supplies to increase over the duration of the summer. And that's why if it's a normal year, if there's no hurricanes or refinery outages, Matt, supply goes up over the course of the summer. What does that do to prices? Well, prices slowly go down. Memorial Day is usually the priciest summer holiday. By July 4, prices ease. And by Labor Day, prices are the lowest for the summer. And using last year as the litmus test. Now, last year, again, there were, you know, there's a, pen, a pent-up level of demand. Last year, Matt, prices peaked. Right in mid-June, this date a year ago, prices peaked in early June. By the way, that's that last year's peak was typically later than expected. Usually the peak is in April or May. But Matt, on this day a year ago, prices were 502. Ooh. On July 4, they had dropped to 479. And by Labor Day, they dropped to 378. So again, I want to dispel the myth. Prices for gasoline typically peak in spring unless there is a unique circumstance that happens in the summer. So again, if you're planning road trips, Matt, the best time is actually is the summer is closing down because by the time summer's closing down, right, 90 days after, um, well, more like 60 days after Memorial Day, supply of gasoline usually hits its peak. 
and that's why prices are lower. Okay, I've got I've got a couple of things to unpack here with all of that. So let me ask you this. Um, how much of the pricing that we see, the reformulated gas that's required during the summer versus the winter months uh, and other aspects, how much of the government regulation, if you will, is what's driving the ups and downs of the price point at the local pump? Because obviously the EPA and other aspects indicating, hey, during the summer months, you need to be dry, you need to be uh, creating this type of gasoline versus the winter time. So what's, you know, is is a large chunk of our, the price that we paid simply because of the government regulating gasoline itself? Yeah. Basically, that's, that's the reason prices go up every spring, Matt, is because during the winter, there are looser regulations for the blend of gasoline because ambient air temperatures are lower and you don't have as much concern about smog when temperatures are cooler. When the EPA's summer gasoline program kicks in, which for refineries starts May 1st, the regulations on refineries start May 1st. By the way, they typically start producing summer gasoline in March and April, right? Well ahead of that May 1st transition. So when do they stop making it? Generally late August. It depends on how much they have on hand. So but the next there's okay. no hard deadline switching to winter. If they have summer gasoline for weeks, Matt, they can still sell it, right? So, because the the because the standard loosens at the end of summer. It doesn't it doesn't tighten. And going from winter to spring, the regulation does tighten. And that's when you cannot use winter gasoline in summer, but you can use summer gasoline if you want in winter. It's just the, the, the problem with that, Matt, is refineries are going to be competing with other refineries that are producing cheaper winter gasoline. So they're they're not going to want to just keep producing summer gasoline all winter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to ask the one question that probably every single person who is listening to this podcast right now is screaming. Why don't they just leave it as one reformulated <laughs> gas year round and be done with it? You know that that's what every I'm thinking it. So I'm screaming I, it, Matt. I've screamed that before. You know why? politicians probably just don't have this on their radar. They don't know how easy of a victory this would be. There's probably a lot of, you know, uh, refiners, it does benefit refiners to make this switch back and forth, right? Because okay, every spring there's a rally in prices. But it's more expensive it's, to create reform. You see, you've got me all yeah, wild yeah. up now. Yes, it is more expensive, but the regulations are the reason. Refineries are the recipients, but they didn't make these rules. The government did. And these rules, Matt, are so localized that they the rules basically are the ones that are are impacting supply and demand. Remember, it's supply and demand that set right. prices. Refineries benefit, but they don't set the rules. So if politicians were smart enough, Matt, to say, let's switch from a dozen different types of gasoline across the summer months, right? Because Chicago uses something different than St. Louis, which is different than Arizona, which is different than California, which is different than Detroit. Why? There's all of these, be because, because the level of air pollution varies from city to city. So then and they only the one reformulated gas. Right, the that, most that, stringent. Exactly. To meet the them all. That's cleanest, if you will. If that's if that's what it takes. Well, see, and, I, and I, like people said, are going to say, well, I don't want to. They're going to say, I don't want to pay for California's blend. But if everyone used it, Matt, that would, would improve cheaper. the supply of it. But there still would be a, a there still would be a cost differential. But instead of it being, you know, forty or fifty cents, 
because right now, Matt, I'll give you an example in Chicago. Chicago's reformulated gasoline right now is about 40 cents more expensive than the conventional blend of gasoline. If you go to Northwest Indiana, Matt, there's two counties that require the reformulated blend. There's one county that doesn't. So the difference between those two blends is 40 cents a gallon. Stations on one side of a county line are paying 40 cents more than on the other side. So if you took your idea and went with the most stringent blend of gasoline, yes, there would be a daily change of, you know, a couple cents a gallon. Over time, it would improve because refineries are only going to stock the blending components to use that blend in time. So the, the pricing impact would fade over the years. But then instead of having 12 different pools, Matt, with all different types of gasoline, you'd have one big pool of gasoline that can be used anywhere in the United States. The cost would be a little bit more, a few cents a gallon, but you'd be getting rid of the entire surge that happens every spring because we're using it year round. Exactly. But again, the EPA sets these rules, Matt. There's people that probably get paid way more than I do to make decisions that don't make much sense. I mean, I mean, really, Matt, we, we expect politicians to make sense. There's a lot of red tape here. There's a lot of varying laws, but there has to be a way to do it. But it, what, what I'm getting at is, and, and it, it's almost like an unannounced tax. The regulations are creating a price point difference. It's not a tax, but it's taxing Americans' pocketbooks yes, yes. because of the higher price that wouldn't necessarily exist if the product were stable and consistent where it was a single type of product that was being spun out by the by the refineries instead of a continual transition from one to the next to the next to the next plus the additional restrictions or blends i mean if i were a an oil refiner right now i i, I don't know how they keep track of, well, that goes to this county, for example, or this yeah. can only go to Chicago land or There's all of these this different has to go to St. Louis. Yeah. So how on earth do they keep track of every single blend that they send out? And then the and then then and then it's even better because then there's got to be a little bit of downtime while they have to tweak the refinery a touch to produce a different blend and then a little you're, more downtime. You're on it. So None of this makes any sense. You're, you're onto it, Matt. And guess what? Oil refineries have people, dozens on dozens of hires to deal with just this area of, of grasping the EPA's requirements. And I'll tell you what, Matt, these are not jobs that pay $15 an hour. So you, t you want to talk about the cost to Americans. You know, mm -hmm. government is great with overburden, overregulating. Instead of, instead of streamlining things, Matt, here, this system that I can tell... I can tell you're very agitated about I it. Have a vein, I, I, can, I have a vein <laughs> popping out in the middle of my forehead. You have the George even, Costanza vein, right? I didn't it's even know vein. it was there till just now. This is It's like the Seinfeld episode, right, where George, that oh. vein is starting to come out. I, I can hear it, Matt. There's, it, it, it absolutely is frustrating. It is absolutely frustrating that this level of bureaucracy, this level of, of different rules. But Matt, you look at it. The housing, the building codes in Florida are a lot different than they are in Michigan or Illinois. So- Again, it's going to cost you more to build a house. Fours. But well, they still they, they, use yes. two by fours. And the they, two they, by they fours do. A two by four but they may have to four. be treated. They may have to be treated, maybe untreated. Okay, but so, that's still also something that's available nationwide or whatever the case may be. You, you're right. So uh, A concrete again, block getting, is a concrete block. I mean, you know what well, I'm saying? I mean, uh, hold, I hold on. No, but it's not. Because oh, it can be built with different 
Concrete has different tensile strength. It does. So, like, again, getting into the weeds on the surface, yeah, cinder blocks is cinder blocks is cinder block. But there's different, and and Matt, I only get into this because California starts telling refineries how they have to do business, how they can produce it. And that's where carbon taxes come into play. Because if, if, if a refinery has to buy carbon credits, they're going to do business a little bit differently with, you know, a little bit more of the environment in mind, right? They're going to, they're going to try to reduce that impact to their business of having to buy those carbon credits. So I think we're getting a little derailed here, but no, absolutely, no, no, that is what costs Americans a lot of money, Matt, is so, these different rules. These, these six counties in Illinois that require reformulated gasoline, the two counties in Indiana that require it. Actually, I think it's eight counties in Illinois, two counties in Indiana, and six in Wisconsin. If you go outside, Matt, all you have to do is cross the state line, and boom, you don't have to use that Chicago or Florida gas. It's kind of a farce. It's, I mean, it's not like it's, it's, it's my point It's a poorly is, built system. It's that's, yeah, rules right. on top of rules on top of rules. My, my point and, was, was that obviously it's not illegal to go and fill your vehicle up with gas that's 40 cents right. a gallon cheaper and right. then come back into that territory where the- I was thinking about that earlier this week. What if that happened? What if, what if at the state line there was some technology where it said you're rejected from entering the state because the, the gasoline in your tank does not meet Illinois criteria, you know, that would be, don't, don't, don't give anybody any ideas, Patrick. Don't oh, Matt, <laughs> Matt, I mean, we're talking about the same system politicians have built that it resulted in this. I don't think they could even execute to get that right. So, my, but, my but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. This is what contributes to the surge in prices. And this is why Matt, it manifests in the spring. And this is why prices don't peak in the summer, because once the system is back in place, the the beaten path, right? The more the path gets beaten, the easier it becomes. And the, the path starts anew every spring, right? March and April. That's why gas prices surge every spring. But once the path is reestablished, it becomes easier through the course of the summer. So why why would we get off this path? You know, why would the EPA shut the path down and then make us start a whole new path next spring? That's really the complicating factor. And again, refineries are beneficiaries of the rise in prices, but it's because of the bureaucracy, the red tape, the regulation that they're the beneficiaries of it. So, you know, if you want to complain at at refineries, that's fine, but you're not going to tackle the problem by saying it's your fault because that does not tackle the inherent problem, which is the system is built poorly and it could be streamlined. And you know, Matt, I, I I would argue that let's build a system that, yeah, might cost me, cost me three or four cents more a gallon on a yearly basis, right? Instead of just costing me more in the summer, but build a system that's more resilient, stable, that has redundancy. And if you get everyone in the nation to the same stringent blend of gasoline, there are there's going to be a lot of efficiencies that drive prices down that 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 put pressure on prices right that put pressure on the cyclical nature of gas prices um that's my answer but again this all harkens back to the the prices do not peak in the summer typically they peak because of the system of rules having to be reestablished every spring over the course of the summer it gets easier it's like once you know how to do something, Matt, right? It gets easier. You can get it. You can get more efficient, and that's what happens every spring. Is this system restarts, and that's why prices go up every spring, and that's why prices do not peak in the summer. 
because that path has been reestablished. Well, congratulations. You have done something that no one else has ever been able to do. I have interviewed presidents and prime ministers, murderers. I have interviewed homeless people and everybody in between. And no one has ever been able to get the vein in the middle of my forehead to pop out. This is a first. 20 some odd years. And this is the first time. I Now I, we just need to have a over a barrel beverage for you to slow back down. I, I need more. I, yeah. You, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. That I've, I just, it blows my mind. So, okay. So if, if it, magic fantasy, pixel, pixel dust and all the other stuff that would, you know, wave the crystal ball, so to speak, if we were uh, homogenized, if you will, and everything were very universal across the country, and it was a year round situation where the refineries didn't have to constantly be flipping a switch to go from this blend to the next blend to the next blend, and everything were stable and everything were the same year round. I mean, w- what would prices look like? Well, I think they'd be far lower, Matt. Theoretically, I mean, now, but define, it does, define it does far lower. Are we talking it's like gonna a be, gallon? It's gonna be- a dollar a gallon, two dollars well, a gallon. I mean, what do we get into it? Okay, so it would be cheaper in the bigger areas that require the more stringent blends, right? Because those are the localized, the the, the less supplied blends. So, like I mentioned, right? Chicago laid, uh, Chicago reformulated gasoline's forty cents a gallon more than the conventional summer gasoline outside of that area. So it would save those in the big cities the most. Um, Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago. Um, would, would, you know, because it would put downward pressure on those special blends because those special blends aren't so special anymore. So prices wouldn't go up so much in those areas. So the average American map, um, I would estimate probably, you know, 10 or 15 cents a gallon lower, but it would also take the bite out of the spring surge in prices. So in spring, theoretically, when prices tend to go up 35 to 85 cents, they might not go up at all. And instead, the cities that require that strict gasoline, they'd probably spend 25 to 50 cents less a gallon during the course of the summer because that's the summer is when their prices tend to be higher. So it would save everyone probably at least five to 15 cents, but it would also almost completely remove the spring surge in price. It would completely remove the 80, 35 to 85 cent jump that happens every spring. So I want to I want to qualify because the cost impact, the cost differential changes um, over the course. Well, yeah, the spring surge would disappear because there wouldn't be a spring changeover to this blend. You'd be using it year round. Right. So that would be savings for everyone. And then during the summer, the areas that use the most stringent blend would be saved the most because those most stringent blends are the least common. They're the, they're generally the least produced. And so it would save those areas the most over the course of the summer. But everyone would save something. Some would save a lot more. Some would save less. I am literally going through as we are talking and and going through my little digital Rolodex here to see if I've got a member of Congress's contact information that's on a committee that could possibly have an impact <laughs> on this. This this has got me all fired up. Can you tell? I mean, it's like, I, but 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 think about it. Tell your politicians, get the EPA behind this. I mean, Matt, it's, it's just it, it really is too common sense. I mean, why would we have all it's so homogenized? All of these different blends, depending on where you are, I mean, it's it's like having different food standards. I mean, what does that do? It just prevents some food from getting to some markets. I'm going to see if I can get... Why one. would we prevent some areas of the country from using, you know, a type of gasoline right. that could be used in their car? So just yeah, go to I mean, one standard. 
That's that's exactly right. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of the Mark Twain National Forest or if you're in downtown L.A. Use the same blend. I mean, and then I, when a refinery problem comes up, Matt, guess what? It's not as problematic. Okay, okay. because any refinery can can fill in the void. Right. And then I'm going to throw in an extra layer here. Then auto manufacturers, vehicle manufacturers wouldn't have to, I would think, would be able to streamline slightly better in the way that they manufacture vehicles to not have to worry about so many different blends and other aspects. Yeah. Well, no? I mean, well, it, would it matter? They, they wouldn't. They, they don't need to worry about that. Manufacturers don't because the, the, the issue, Matt, is the gasoline has had to conform to standards. And those standards have been established. So manufacturers don't need to do anything different because their car... I mean, as evidenced by cars running fine in Chicago, right, on this different blend. Right, so right. It's the gasoline that has to conform to those standards so the gasoline could be could be used in the cars. There, there wouldn't be much benefit uh, to manufacturers, as in the car is going to run just as efficiently on either type of gasoline. It might run just a little bit better with summer gasoline because it's less evaporative. So... But it doesn't change the engineering behind how a car runs. Oh, this brings me to the other question that I wanted to ask like 20 minutes ago. And it's been in the back of my mind this entire time. And it's almost kind of that pop quiz moment because I know we're starting to slowly wind down this particular podcast. But the reality of the situation that I need to ask you, and I remember distinctly asking you this many years ago when I was uh, uh, working in news in Tampa. And the question is this, when, when the temperatures are elevated Correct me if I'm wrong, but the evaporative rate uh, for gasoline, um, it, it's different than if it's really cold outside. In fact, if I am not mistaken, even in Florida, a lot of the gas pumps have special equipment installed to limit uh, the evaporation of the fuel versus like northern states, well, they, for example. Is that it? They have temperature correction. Yes. Yeah. So, 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 so pumps talk have to temperature correction because temperature correction, you know, at a colder temperature, gasoline is more dense, right? Uh, the same gallon of gasoline packs more energy when that gasoline is colder. And if it's hotter, there's less density. So mostly areas in the desert will have high temperature correction because they don't have to worry about, you know, they don't have to worry about zero degrees in Phoenix right. the way they do in Michigan. And the low temperature areas, Matt, will also have temperature correction on the cold side but they might not have temperature correction on the hot side. When you say temperature correction, I'm envisioning, uh, you know, like the massive buried uh, gas tanks, like, you know, with, with like a, a blanket and a heater. I mean, what, what, what is it when you say temperature correction, help, help me understand that a little bit better. Well, gasoline sold at 60 degrees. I, I, I don't remember what the standard is, but at a certain temperature, right? You deviate from that temperature and the, the, the volume that you get, this goes back to science class, right? The volume of gasoline at a higher temperature is less than at a low temperature. Gasoline, like I said, there's more density to a gallon of gasoline at a cold temperature than there is a gallon of gasoline at a high temperature. Right. And so, so the pump, the pump, right? The pump uh, measures gallons. It doesn't measure density. So there are programs, there are sensors that are built into some of this equipment that gas stations don't want you getting more energy when it's cold out, right? They don't want to give you more energy than they have to, you know, than the gallon. Right. So when it's extremely cold, that temperature correction works to make sure you're not getting as much density 
as you would. And the high temperature correction is going to give you basically equalization. Instead of that gasoline being less dense, you're going to actually get the gallon of gasoline the same energy density, right? So it goes both ways. Stations so they, don't want you getting more gasoline than you paid for, and they don't want you getting less gasoline than they paid for. So because are they both those are bad for business. Are they adjusting the actual temperature of the fuel, or is it all digital within the pump? It's like, oh, well, the temperature Yeah, they're basically the dispensing you a little bit more volume Got to make that. up for the density. So they're not actually chilling the gasoline or heating Correct. the gasoline. No, no, absolutely not. Okay, okay, that's what I wanted to get across because when you when we're thinking temperature correction, I'm literally thinking you know they're actually adjusting the temperature of the liquid, the fuel itself. Okay, no, that, nope. that makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it's all it's all mechanical. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Well, uh, other than that, uh, price points. I uh, as we have been talking, uh, I just continually see the price of oil that is climbing, climbing, climbing. So what is your forecast nationwide, uh, really, uh, over the next several days? Nah, not a whole lot, Matt. Uh, you know, we came from oil price a couple of weeks ago that were 75. You know, we were down to 68, now we're down to 70. So we're still net on net lower than we were a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, you know, we are at 357 for a national average today. I think we could see that loosen up a little bit. I think we're going to continue bouncing around here in the 350s, though. Um, there might be a day when we slip under 350. There could be a day when we might slip over 359 a gallon. So all in all, over the next week, not a whole lot of movement. Um, in fact, <laughs> with oil being all over the place, Matt, I don't know when the next movement might might be. Um, so that's the good news is prices still are going to remain far more affordable than last year. Well, that's good to know. So is there anything else that you want to bring to the table here that you feel is kind of important? Anything globally speaking? Because I mean, you know, the United States is not exactly in a bubble where we are the only one that uses oil. I mean, is there anything else out there that's, that's you know, on your radar? You know, we often watch China. China, you know, a lot of the global economies, Matt, though, are struggling with the same thing the U.S. is. Various central banks, the EU just raised interest rates. Canada recently raised interest rates. So we continue to be in this in this period. Uh, where central banks are aggressively tightening monetary policy to slow things down. So that's uh, that's net a net good. I mean, forcing us to slow down, Matt, is not a bad thing. Forcing people to you know slow down. Now, I know it might induce a recession and people don't like that. It's uncomfortable. But nobody likes the, the rabid pace of inflation, right? I think that's... I'd rather risk a recession than, than seeing inflation continue. So... Um, that's going to slow things down and, and things look good, Matt, beyond this summer and into this fall. We'll have to see how the OPEC production cuts bite later this year. But all in all, not a bad idea to get out there. Um, you know, if you're planning a road trip, again, pack the pay with gas buddy card, use the gas buddy app because there's a lot of different price differentials. Like I said, especially in those areas that require a formulated gasoline, Matt. Um, that's why you really need to pay attention to make sure you're not going into an area that number one, gasoline taxes change. And then number two, on top of that, the formulation of gasoline could change. So there there could be some huge discrepancies. And that's why it's important to shop around using GasBuddy. And for anyone who wants to save extra money, um, sign up for the free pay with GasBuddy card. Links to your checking account saves up to 25 cents a gallon. I have it. I use it every time. And the other great thing, Matt, uh, with the GasBuddy app is, is loyalty. Um, a lot of stations have free loyalty programs that save you 5, 10, even 15 cents a gallon off. Some of the best loyalty programs now integrate directly with the GasBuddy app. So if you load your GasBuddy app, go look at the loyalty tab of your profile. Sign up for a free loyalty program. Uh, the GasBuddy app will show you an even lower price. So um, wrap it up. Uh, have a safe and pleasant weekend, everyone. If you're hitting the road soon, make sure you pack the GasBuddy uh, app. 
And if you haven't already, check out the Pay With Gas Buddy card. Uh, like I said, I would not advertise if it was a product that was no good. It is terrific. It's a wonderful product. I'd love to see a lot more people save a lot more money on what they spend at the pump. So um, anyone who'd like to reach out to us, by the way, we had a couple emails uh, over the last couple of days about our Octane episode. Would love to hear from you. Uh, We are on social, Matt, right? Yes, uh, you can, of course, uh, get Patrick. He's got his special Twitter handle, uh, which is Gas Buddy Guy. And of course, I am Over a Barrel Matt, as well as Over a Barrel Show, where you can obviously message us there as well. And you can also send us questions by email, Patrick. Uh, that email address is podcast at gasbuddy.com. And like I said, a couple uh, couple great comments out there that we hope to uh, talk about in future shows. So you have a show idea, a comment, concern, a question, throw us a line at podcast@gasbuddy.com, and we'd love to answer that. But for now, have a safe and pleasant weekend. We'll see you back here for the next episode. Mm-hmm.